next week, next week we're going to start a series on Genesis 1 through 3. But today I thought I'd like to begin the new year with something of a New Year's message. And so I invite you to turn to the book of Philippians, if you have your Bibles open. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. 10 through 14. Philippians 3, 10 through 14. Beloved, listen to God's Word. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Just out of pure curiosity, how many of you sitting here today or maybe sitting at home have made a New Year's resolution for 2022? Two. <laughs> okay. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you here today have made New Year's resolutions ever? Most of us have made New Year's resolutions. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but the month of January was named by the Romans after the mythical god called Janus. Janus was a god who had two faces, one on the front of his face and one on the back, what, I should say one in front of his face, that's one on the front of his head and one on the back of his head so that he could look two ways at one time. And they found it fitting for January because as you turn over the new year, this is kind of what you see, right? You kind of look in the background and you see the year that has passed. And then you also look forward into the future in terms of what's going to come. When we make New Year's resolutions, we're sort of doing the same thing where, if you will, we're Janusing. We're looking back into the year that has passed, maybe where we have succeeded, where we have failed. And then we look into the future to discern and make some decisions for ourselves about where we'd like to do better. We make New Year's resolutions. Some of the most popular new New Year's resolutions, according to the internet, are things like fitness goals, eating better in the new year, losing weight, maybe getting in better shape. Uh, financial goals are a big one for people, that they want to do better on their finances, maybe make some more money, maybe pay down some debt. I don't know what New Year's resolution you may have made this year or what resolution you may have made in years past, but beloved, my goal from the pulpit this morning is very simple and very singular and by God's grace, very practical. I want to do one thing. I want to urge you to embrace 
Paul's words in Philippians 3, 10 through 14 as your New Year's resolution. The resolution is well summarized in the first five words that he speaks in verse 10. I want to know Christ. These five words can be and should be our New Year's resolution. The thing that we can and the thing that we ought as Christians prioritize above all other things to say on a daily basis in 2022, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering so as to somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. What would it look like if we were to make these five words our five words? Our ultimate resolution for 2021. I want to know Christ. What would that look like? Paul suggests that if we are willing to make this our commitment, our resolution for 2021, then it's going to look perhaps more, but no less than three things. First, it's going to look like the pursuit of an intimate relationship. It's going to look like the pursuit of an intimate relationship. To know in Scripture as a whole has a double sense. In the first sense, we know we seek to know about someone or something. There's a cognitive element or a cerebral element or an intellectual element. I want to know about someone or something. But then to know in the biblical tradition also has a finer textured sense of relationship. When we are told in the book of Genesis, for example, that Adam knows his wife Eve, it results first in Cain, and then in Abel, and then in Seth. It's an intimate form of knowing. It's a fruitful union. It's a knowing that leads to a fruitful union. And when Paul says, I want to know Christ, he's invoking both senses. He wants to know Christ in terms of learning more about Christ. To be sure, because you can't know Christ without knowing about Christ. Who He is. What He's done. What the significance of that is. But when Paul says he wants to know Christ, he also wants to know Christ relationally. To walk with Him. To experience intimacy with Him. So beloved, what would this look like practically in our lives if we want to know Christ in 2022? Well, it's going to look like doing the disciplines that we were taught when we were young or that we are being taught. It's going to look like Bible study. Regularly reading our Bibles so that we can learn more about Christ. It's going to be engaging in fellowship with other believers so that together through dialogue, dialogue we may know more about Jesus Christ. But then it's also going to look like a habit of prayer. Of entering into silence. Entering into solitude. In other words, carving out time in our daily lives. On monthly basis, maybe annual basis. To do what you're going to do if you're going to invest in any relationship, right? If you're going to invest in a relationship with your spouse or with a friend, or with a son and daughter, or with a parent, or an uncle or an aunt, what do you need to do? What is the fundamental rule of all relationship building? 
You have to spend quality time. It's no different with our Lord. We need to commit ourselves to carving out time on a daily basis, and then maybe more concertedly on a monthly basis or annually to retreat and simply sit in silence and solitude and in prayer to our Lord. You know, it's fascinating to me that when you look at the Gospels, all the Gospel writers want us to know that Jesus had a habit of retreating from the world, of retreating from the regular warp and woof of his relationship with other people, of his preaching, his teaching, his work in the streets, to go and be alone with the Father. You remember when you read this in the Synoptic Gospels or in John, that Jesus goes off on a mountainside alone in order to pray? You remember that when he's on the Mount of Olives with his disciples? that he leaves them and he tells them to be watchful and vigilant and then he goes off on his own to be alone with the Father in prayer. One of the drumbeats of the Christian life that will help us to know Christ is not only knowing about him intellectually, but also just carving out time to spend quality time with him. This is what Jesus himself did. C.S. Lewis suggests that one of the things that makes this really, really difficult for us is that we have misconceptions of what, what prayer is and what we ought to do when we're in silence and solitude. Most of us feel good about our prayer life when we're highly articulate in our prayers. After we've talked to God in a really robust and excited fashion. In one of his letters to an American lady, this is the title of a book, a, a compendium of letters that uh, Lewis wrote to an American lady. Um, he held this correspondence with her for years and years and years about sometimes very mundane things, but then sometimes spiritual things. In one letter, she had written to him about an earache that she had and also that her prayer life felt very dry lately. And C.S. Lewis writes back to this lady and he says this to her, the words of wisdom from Brother Lewis are just unbelievable all the time. Keep reading, Lewis, friends. Dear Mary, this is, by the way, it's March 31st, 1958. Dear Mary, thank you for your letter of the 26th. I am very sorry to hear about the earache. It is a horrid thing, much worse than a toothache. <laughs> we all go through periods of dryness in our prayers, don't we? I doubt whether they are necessarily a bad symptom. I sometimes suspect that what we feel to be our best prayers are really our worst. That what we are enjoying is the satisfaction of apparent success, as in executing a dance or reciting a poem. So our prayers sometimes go wrong because we insist on trying to talk to God when he wants to talk to us. Joy, Joy was Lewis's wife, Joy tells me that once years ago she was haunted one morning by a feeling that God wanted something of her, a persistent pressure like the nag of a neglected duty. And until mid-morning, she kept on wondering what it was. But the moment she stopped worrying, the answer came through as plain as a spoken voice. It was, Joy, I don't want you to do anything. I want to give you something. And immediately, her heart was full of peace and delight. St. Augustine says, God gives where he finds empty hands. Maybe one of the things we need to do this year as we commit ourselves to knowing Christ is getting into a place where we can get before God just 
with open hands. Not so much bringing something to the table as coming to the table to receive. I think one of the other ways that we know Christ and grow in intimacy with Him, and that must be said at this stage of the church's life, is by committing ourselves to the fellowship of believers, to regular worship attendance where that is possible, to being in the fellowship of believers in each other's homes. And why is that? Because the locus of Jesus' presence on earth today, according to the New Testament, is not somewhere in the sky. It's not amorphously discovered out in the ether, but it is located in the people of God. This is why the New Testament says that we, the church, the community of believers, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Temple had very obvious significance in the ancient Near Eastern world. It's the place where you went to meet with your God, where he was physically present on earth. If the church is the temple of the living God, then the place where preeminently we can go to meet with our Lord and experience the intimacy of his presence is in the fellowship of believers. And beloved, yes, you can experience the presence, intimate presence of God on the mountaintop, and many of us have, but let us not forget our experiences when we were in the fellowship of believers and there was a sweetness there. And we encountered Christ in the presence of believers. As the author of Hebrews says, we must not give up meeting together. And this is so important to say during these COVID days, where we have begun to develop new habits, where we are seeking to know Christ in new ways. But we must not neglect our ecclesiology, our doctrine of the church, and that God is present amidst his people. So I commend this to you as a way of knowing Christ. Pursue relationship with Christ by knowing about him, but then by seeking intimacy with him. That's the first thing, and here's the second. One of the other things that knowing Christ will look like is pursuing personal holiness. Look at what Paul says next. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Somehow to know Christ is to know the power of his resurrection. And what is the power of Jesus' resurrection? Well, we will say it is, of course, life from death. And that is true. But it's not only life from physical death, according to the New Testament. It is also life from moral death. It's victory over besetting sin. It's becoming more and more like Jesus in our daily life, more and more holy, more and more set apart for God as the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, begins to operate in our own heart and our own lives and we move from one stage of glory to another. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 6, or don't you know that those of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have also been baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, yes Paul, in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too may we live a new life. That is the power of the resurrection working in us. It's not only new life after death, but it's new life right here, right now as we gain victory over sin, and as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. 
Let's make this super duper practical. If you want to know Christ this year and the power of his resurrection, then here's something that maybe you can do when you go home today or even on a daily basis. There's a list in Galatians chapter 5 that lists the fruit of the flesh, we might say. It is set back to back with another list in Galatians chapter 5, immediately following it as the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe one of the things that we need to do is we seek to know Christ and experience the power of his resurrection in our own life where we'll encounter him. Is to read the list of the fruit of the flesh and say, dear Lord, where is it that you want me to grow in 2022? Where do I have sins that I need to gain victory over? Not in my own strength, but as I depend on your grace, on the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. Show me as I enter into the quiet place. And then do the same thing for the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, though immediately following it. So for example, let me read these lists for you and consider what this means. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not be able to experience the reign of God in your life over those things. Maybe there is something that God is calling us to battle harder this year in his strength and not in ours. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some of us need to learn to be a lot more gentle. And maybe one of the ways that we encounter Christ is by working on being a little more gentle. Remember the beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think we might be able to say, blessed are those who pursue holiness, because they too will see more of God in their lives. A third thing that committing ourselves to knowing Christ will look like, according to Paul in our text, is this. Not only will we pursue relationship, pursue a relationship, it'll look like pursuit of a relationship. Not only will it look like pursuing a life of holiness, but it will look like the willing embrace of suffering for the sake of the kingdom of God. It'll look like the voluntary embrace of suffering for the sake of the kingdom of God. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and then the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Notice that Paul does not say, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and to participate in his suffering. He doesn't say that. Paul is not a sadist. He's not somebody who's just looking for suffering for the sake of suffering. Not at all. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Apparently, according to Paul, there is a fellowship that you can experience with Christ and other believers when you voluntarily embrace suffering for the sake of the kingdom of God. You will know Christ in the midst of your suffering when you are voluntarily embracing it. For the sake of the kingdom. When you're standing up for the truth of the gospel, even though that truth 
Standing up for it is going to get you in trouble. When you're standing in solidarity with the poor or the marginalized or the oppressed, even though standing in solidarity with those outcasts is going to cause suffering for you, you'll experience fellowship with God in a way that you haven't before. And maybe also with fellow believers. You may recall that in the book of Acts, after the disciples are told that they're not to be able, they're not to go out and proclaim the name of Jesus anymore, they go ahead and do it. They're flogged for it. They're thrown in prison for it. And they come back rejoicing that they were found worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. How do you rejoice when you suffer like that? You rejoice because you experience a sweet fellowship with your Lord in the midst of that suffering. And some of us have experienced this as well, haven't we? We've stood up for the truth of the gospel, even though it hurts. And there is a sweet fellowship with our Lord that we experience in that time. We stand in solidarity with those whom the Lord says has value, even though society says they don't. And we experience sweet fellowship with the Lord in the midst of that suffering. We know Christ in the midst of that suffering. And so, beloved, I commend this year to you, if you want to know Christ, then pursue relationship with him. Pursue personal piety and holiness. And also, when the time comes, be willing to willingly, voluntarily embrace suffering for the sake of the kingdom of God. And you will know Christ more than you have known him before. And some of us will say this morning, you know what, Ed? It's a great New Year's resolution. I've made this New Year's resolution before. In fact, I made it last year and the year before and the year before that. And I said to myself, this year God is going to be a priority in my life. This year I'm going to make Jesus the sole focus of my existence. To focus my eyes on Jesus, the author and prophet. I've done it before. But I feel so defeated every single year because all of those things you just said that we should do, I find difficult difficulty in doing. I find a natural aversion and a natural opposition in myself to doing them, and I just feel like a mighty failure, so is there anything that can help me embrace this resolution again? I think Paul gives us two things that can help us here. Number one, adjust your expectations. Look what Paul says. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, dot, dot, dot. Not that I've already obtained all this. Paul wants to pursue relationship with Christ. He wants to pursue the new creation in Christ that God holds out for us. He wants to voluntarily suffer on behalf of Christ, but he says, not that I've already obtained of this or already been made perfect. The Christian life is hard. Saints are not made in a day. They're made slowly, often imperceptibly, like the growing of a plant. We open ourselves to the conditions that will lead to growth. Water comes on us, sun comes on us in the forms of God's grace, and slowly, ever so slowly, sometimes ever too slowly, we grow up in faith. If you make it just a little bit further this year, that is wonderful. Adjust your expectations. You will fall down flat on your face. You will fail. That's okay. What does Paul say? Maintain your orientation. Press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us. What did he take hold of us for? Relationship with him. An intimate walk for us to become new creations in Christ and that we would in the present time 
willingly embrace suffering for the sake of the kingdom so the kingdom of God may come on earth as it comes in heaven. But God's grace is sufficient. It's okay. We will not arrive on this side of things, but let us, sisters and brothers, Paul says, press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us. That's the first thing. And then Paul says, you know what else will help you? This. Forget what is behind. Lop off the backside of Janus's head. And look forward into the future. Now here's something really interesting. Forget what? Paul's ambiguous. I think this is one of Paul's moments of pastoral brilliance. He doesn't tell you what to forget. You know why? Because you have to decide what to forget. What do you need to forget from last year? You know what some of you need to forget? You need to forget your shame. You need to forget how you royally screwed up. You need to forget how you fell flat on your face and broke your nose. And did it again and again and again. Because the devil will take that and rub it into your face and keep you stagnant and keep you stymied and keep you stuck. Forget it. God's grace covers it. If he says you're clean, you're clean. If he says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. You know in sign language what forgiveness means, the symbol for forgiveness? Clean. (laughs) There's nothing on your hands anymore. It's been washed away. Forgetting what is behind. Some of us need to forget the shame. Forget how we failed. And just focus on, there's a new day dawning. Walk toward the light. Forget the days of darkness behind you. David says, Lord, hold not against me the sins of my youth. Forgetting what is behind, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Yes. But maybe some of us need to forget something else, right? Maybe some of us need to forget our successes, our accomplishments for the sake of the kingdom. We did a lot in the past, didn't we? Maybe we built Christian schools. Maybe we raised awesome Christian kids who are doing wonderful things for the kingdom now. Maybe we were part of institutions that are alive and thriving and doing good work for the kingdom of God. Maybe we've given a lot of money that has been used to do a lot of good in the world. And we say, I'm done. I did my part. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting my shame and sin. Forgetting also my accomplishments. If I focus too much on all the good that I've already done, maybe I won't see the good that there is yet to do in the future. Beloved, I urge you this year to embrace for yourself these five words. Put them on your fridge. Put them in your journal. Even better, write them on the tablet of your heart. Five words. I want to know Christ. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would empower each and every one of us here to embrace, to begin with, these words as our five words. That you would give us the grace then to walk, to see them realized in our life. And the grace also to realize, Lord, that while we are expected to put in some effort, that our acceptance from you does not depend on our effort. Lord, we seek to do this not to gain love from you, but as a response to the love that you have already given us. Center us in this gospel truth, Lord, and grow us up into the fullness of Jesus. Give us the sweetness of relationship with you. Make us more holy like Christ himself. Give us the courage and strength to suffer for the sake of the kingdom when it's necessary. And remove the obstacles, Lord, 
exaggerated expectations, or a past that haunts us or trips us up in one way or another. Move among us in this day. For your sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.